Welcome to the Red Bank Rum Runner. I'm your host, Anthony Jude Sotaro. Then, one night, back here in Red Bank, that same year, it was late August, 1891. Just a few months after they lynched those innocent men and children down in New Orleans and the Walla Walla, right down at the Italian colony here in Red Bank. This Thomas Davron came by. He had a big farm up on Heathen's Corner, Middletown. He came over on Cooper's Bridge from Middletown with that Joe Simpson to sell his produce here in Red Bank, like he always did, down by the wharf, to trade and pick up some things. He stopped over here on his way out of town, stopped down at Cooper's Bridge to our Italian colony. My uncles, they all used to wrestle, you know, spar, to keep in shape and to train for their own protection. They were in the middle of one of their legendary matches. Joe DeMarco and my uncle Vito Sotaro going at it blow for blow. Not trying to hurt each other, you see, but really fighting nonetheless. Only way to train is at a full speed. This Thomas Davron stopped by, hollering at us that he wanted to get in on the action as he jumped down off his wagon, saying that he could take the whole lot of us, hmm? ten men all at once. Everyone scoffed at him, thinking he was just a drunk. A drunk off his rocker. But Davron, he insisted. Said if we didn't let him take us all, hmm, then uh, he'd be willing to place a wager on taking just Joe DeMarco down. Davrin clearly had been drinking and was looking for trouble. So my uncles convinced DeMarco not to fight him. He'd had too much to drink. And my uncles didn't need that kind of trouble. They told the Thomas Davron 
he could come. He could come with them if he wanted to. But they wouldn't be fighting him. So Thomas Davern then started asking about the manure my uncle sold to fertilize his crops, his farm, for the coming season, the harvest. They said, short, Tom, it's a one dollar, like all. But Tom, you see, he wanted it for 50 cents. 50 cents above Angola, 50 cents. Joe DeMarco, he said, no, it's one dollar alone, or you can go home with no manure. Well, Mr. Devon, he didn't like that for an answer. Now, did he? No, he didn't. So, he started hollering about calling the Board of Health. Hmm? You see, his brother worked for the Board of Health. And he started hollering loudly for his brother to come down and shut us down telling us he'd take everything we had and we'd get nothing for it. That they would lock us up and throw away the key. But my uncles, they stood their ground, said he could take it or leave it. Well, then Thomas Davern, he started getting pretty angry now. Surely he didn't like that for an answer. And so he pushed Joe DeMarco and knocked him right to the ground. They started wrestling. Everyone started screaming as arms and legs began flying in the night. Someone grabbed a broom. People were yelling and screaming. Joe Simpson was still sitting atop the wagon as his friend began to take on the whole colony. My uncle, Giuseppe, boot black Joe. He was expecting a baby boy with my aunt, my cousin Michael, to be born in just a few weeks. He was scared. He didn't know what to do, only that he needed to stop this man and protect the family. And so, he went inside and looked up at the picture of the Virgin Mary. As he said, 
Hanofi and asked for God's forgiveness for what he was about to do. And so he grabbed the knife he had finished sharpening earlier in the evening. And in a rush, he stood up, flung open the door, and started in a mad dash towards Thomas Davrin, who was walking away from my family. Uncle Giuseppe's military instincts kicked in as he lunged towards the back of Thomas, leaping into the air as he was gliding, floating feet first as he hovered 12 inches above the ground, his left arm stretched out as his just sharpened blade extending out from his outstretched hand sliced the back of Thomas Davern's right leg. Just above the back of his knee joint, severing the main artery. Simpson sat there motionless in his wagon. In shock, as his friend Davrin screamed until a man jumped out of nowhere, grabbing the box face before shouting himself and dashing off past the wagon into the night. Simpson's horse was frightened by the man's screams that he then took off into the night, back over Cooper's Bridge into Middletown, and ran faster than it had ever ran before. The streets filling with the sounds of the frightened box hoofs against the hard ground and over the bridge, galloping away as Thomas Tavern screamed until he couldn't scream any longer. He hobbled in silence, wandering as the man who could have helped him. Joe Simpson had just abandoned a deafening silence filled the streets in Redding on that late summer night. As everyone rushed back into their homes in shock, frightened, scared, unsure of what had just transpired. 
So, they left him out there on the street as he circled around. Davrin made his way up the hill past the house on Morford, stumbling down the riverside avenue, leaving a trail of blood all along the way. Finally coming to rest against a big locust tree on the Riverside Avenue as he bled out. Some say he cursed us, the whole family that night, as his soul slowly left his body. Blood bleeding out, seeping onto the sidewalk. The street filling with a deep dark red. The red blood slowly dripping down and covering the sandy shores. Painting them red before being washed away on an endless loop, like a red spot or a blood stain you can never get rid of. He laid there on the sidewalk all night, bleeding out. Even when a neighbor walked by, she thought he was just one of those men that came down here to the saloons and had indulged a little too much at the West End Hotel. Maybe he headed the wrong way out of the saloon towards the depot. Thought maybe he pissed himself there on the sidewalk as he lay there motionless. And then another gentleman came by thinking the same. Being indifferent to the sort, he too let him be. But coming across the man again hours later and seeing him in the same position. Hmm. Well, he finally stopped and examined the body a little closer. And that's when he noticed that he was cold. His mouth did not make a breath and fogged up his lenses when putting his eyeglasses in front of the man's mouth. So he grabbed the man's arm, pulled it up to his shoulder, and let go, and watched as it fell back, helplessly and lifelessly. And as he looked down, he then noticed that there was a pool 
of blood beneath the back of the man's right leg. And then he saw the trail of blood, and so he ran and got the coroner. And they gathered a group of people, and they followed the trail of blood. And you know where the trail of blood led them. The trail of blood led them right to us, to my family, my uncles, right to the Italian colony, down there by Cooper's Reach. And so, they took us, all of us, locked us up, separated us, questioned us. Even when we told them what had happened, that Uncle Giuseppe had done it, because he was threatened and scared, and that no one knew where he had gone. But it wasn't good enough for them. So they kept us, locked us all up for months. Even the boy, my cousin, Peter DeLisa, But, you see, we did have some good fortune that night. Hmm? It's always good to have low men in high places, as they say. Hmm? You see, there was a boy there that night with my family when it all went down down by the barn when Davrin was there. He wasn't supposed to be there, but you know, you give in to your vices long enough and they will get you a one day. Well, this was the day of reckoning for a lot of people. You see, there was a man named William Hathaway. Hmm? And he was a very wealthy man in the area. Powerful. Owned a lot of land between Long Branch and Asbury Park. From the water to the rail line. Geographically, it was the most perfect spot along the shore. Deal Beach. Hmm? 1,000 feet of sand with land high enough it would never flood these gardens of Eden. 
and the waters deep enough out there that you could run boats out to larger ships offshore and there if you needed to. He had a place out there, Hathaway House. It was the place I spoke about earlier where the aristocrats would come to indulge in their pleasures and their hedonistic tendencies and desires. Hmm? You see, William Hathaway Sr. had been getting into trouble recently since his father and his brother had passed. They had become so wealthy because Hathaway House was a family business, and they owned and operated it themselves. After William's father and brother passed, he started letting Hathaway House slip a little bit, hmm? started getting fined for keeping a disorderly house there. His son, William, started helping his father out. Hmm? He used to come up to the colony and purchase the cases of beer for Hathaway House before we sent them down the line. He bought cases and cases at a time. The rail line was just up the hill from the colony, and it went all the way down to Hathaway House at Deal Beach. He was a young man, hmm? just starting to come into his own, and he lived with his father at Hathaway House. He would often bring the shipments of beer down from us, as well as purchasing cases and taking it back up to Deal Beach either himself or have someone else take those cases for him. Now that his grandfather and uncle had passed away, so anyway, that night, when young William Hathaway was there with us, filling his order, hmm? his father's order for Hathaway House, that's when this tavern business all went down. Hmm? Just one of those things, wrong place at the wrong time. So they had. Young William locked up. Young William Hathaway with us. We hid him, disguised him, said he was one of us, protected him when we needed help. He got it for us. Hmm? 
that word to his father. His father got us in touch with the Italian American Association in New York City. They sent the best attorney they had, James Oliver. Hmm? Jimmy Oliver, the patron saint of the Bowery himself. You see, the Honorable James Oliver, Colonel, as we called him, was the state senate sergeant at arms in New York State and was a well-respected and high-ranking politician with the Democratic National Headquarters in New York City. A personal friend of President Grover Cleveland's. That's right, Grover Cleveland was a New Jersey-born man himself in 1837. Was raised up north in upstate New York, of course. But him and Oliver both vacationed at the Jersey Shore together. Mm. Were two of the leaders of the Democratic Party together at the time. And you see, this Jimmy Oliver was also Vice President of the Central Liquor Dealers Association of Brooklyn. And so, he had a personal interest to make sure that relations with all parties, including the flow and the sale of our alcohol, back and forth to Brooklyn remained intact. And like I said, he was a personal friend of President Grover Cleveland's, the handpicked man for the 1885 Democratic National nomination in Cleveland's first election, back after the big scandal in the mid-70s when his predecessor, James Garfield, died and Chester Arthur took A man that would soon be running for president again. But anyway, Jimmy Oliver had great influence with his Grover Cleveland and was able to get us help we needed. And for his trouble, William Hathaway Jr. became our first honorary citizen of the colony, just like that. And so, James Oliver came down from New York City to Redbeck. Hmm? On the day the coroner was to give his inquisition, and this Mr. Oliver was a brilliant man. You see, he knew he needed more time to assess the scope of the situation before the coroner gave his report to put the wheels in motion. So that he 
hood structure a deal. After the lynchings in New Orleans, relations with Italy had become so strained with America that there were serious discussions of war. That's right. Italy pulled their diplomat Baron Fama and sent America's diplomat away with their bags back. In fact, the whole world was shutting their doors on the U.S. Secretary of State, James Blaine's face. Wouldn't let him into South America, Russia. And there was silence from the White House on the issue of the treatment of the Italian men that were lynched in New Orleans earlier in the year. So Jimmy Oliver, he knew when he came down to Red Bank that day that this was much bigger than just the Sataros from Red being locked up against their will as witnesses to a murder that they didn't commit. So when he arrived on the shores of the Red Bank, in front of our safe house at Morford Place, next to the West End Hotel, he excused himself, said that because of the lace, he had arrived into town much later than he had anticipated. And that he needed to catch the last train out of town that day, which would be arriving shortly, but that he would be willing to treat the crowd that gathered to not one, but two drinks with him at the West End Hotel as he waited for his train. And that if everyone obliged, he would return from New York City a few days later and to hear the coroner's inquest in its entirety. Well, the crowd seemed a bit confused at first. But, being a thirsty one, they urged the coroner to oblige the request. And so, Mr. James Oliver headed over to the West End Hotel that afternoon, followed by a small group of people, including the coroner and the jury. The West End Hotel is a little Tavern, a boarding house, located directly behind the passenger and freight depot. 
It's one of those places the men come to escape reality as they throw back the fuel. Only this was one of those places that offered a little more than just a stiff drink. Well, in any event, Jimmy Oliver, he had such a crowd gathered around him that night at the West End Hotel that everyone found out he was buying their drinks that evening. Hmm? And the colonel, always being one to take care of people, he spared no expense and made sure that no man or woman left the West End Hotel thirsty that evening. And the crowd so enjoyed themselves with Mr. Oliver's company that he was getting offers from all the locals in Redbeck to spend the night as their house guest. Mr. Oliver, he didn't take anyone up on their most generous offer of hospitality to spend that evening, however. And so, the patron saint of the Bowery, James Oliver, now knew, after spending the night with the crowd, drinking and toasting with the devil's rum, that he had the right people to put a deal together. And so, James Oliver also knew that the country couldn't let what happened in New Orleans and Walla Walla happen again. Not here. Not this far north. There'd be war. And so, Mr. Oliver, who had just been with, at the time, former President Grover Cleveland the week before, sat out to work to come up with a plan. And so, that's what Oliver was best at, seeing things from everyone's point of view and advocating for them to come together and find the common ground for the greater good. Hmm? And so, James Oliver put together the massive and intricate deal himself. And it was his proposal that got the Sataros off of death row. And you know, what one of the first things he had done? He made sure they built a brand new house for Thomas Stafford's widow, for his wife and children. A new farmhouse was built up there at Hayden's Corner. And so then, he convinced William Hathaway Sr. 
to do what most men in his possession would do. And Hathaway obliged and did everything he could to protect his son and his family. And so he sold all his land at Deal Beach, including his family legacy at Hathaway House, a place he built with his father and brother in 1855. James Oliver put a team together from New York to purchase Hathaway's property, all of Deal Beach, Woolworth, and the railroad tycoon, Theodore S. Darling, who had a place in Asbury Park, headed the group from New York. You see, they needed the railroad to continue the rail lines down to their garden of Eden they had planned with Hathaway's land. And so they needed us, the Italians, to do the dirty work for them. To build the rail lines, the roads, the sewers, and then they struck the largest land deal ever on the Jersey Shore coastline for more than 300 acres of William Hathaway's land at Deal Beach. And they employed hundreds and hundreds of Italians as we built the rail line all the way from Atlantic Islands down the coast. They'd bring in hundreds of Italians to work every day by boat. And of course, we built the rail line, the sewers, the roads for their luxurious Garden of Eden down at Deal Beach, another one of the aristocrats' pleasure paradises they were creating. And we built the sewer line all the way down out there to the beach so that we could bring our shipments of alcohol underground right there down on the beach up to Hathaway House through the sewer like a tunnel without ever disturbing those beautiful, luxurious garden lawns of Eden. They gave a whole section of land at Deer Beach all the way to the ocean, to that railroad tycoon, to Darling, named it Darlington. Hmm? Hathaway, he got a pretty penny for his land, 
and bought himself a nice place in Asbury Park. It was easy hmm, for them to keep Hathaway's son's name, Young William, out of the papers, too, because Hathaway and Darling, they owned the newspapers. That's right. And so they referred to William Hathaway's son as William Sitaro in the press. And so after that, everyone in our family decided to name someone William in their family in honor of the man that helped out ours. And what happened to my Uncle Giuseppe Sotaro, you ask? Well, he made his way safely to Connecticut to witness the birth of his son, Michael William Sotaro. Hathaway had saved us all, and no one ever knew. And so, for fear that they would come after my uncles and cousins that were still locked up and stormed the prisons like they did in New Orleans and Walla Walla, now President Harrison was urging Congress to pass legislation stating that Murderers of foreigners shall not go unpunished in the future. James Oliver even had President Harrison's ear then. Hmm? And he got the president to come out and say that all foreigners shall be protected in accordance with the treaty would have been bad politics to say otherwise, seeing that there was an election year coming up. And all James Oliver's friend, Grover Cleveland, would be throwing his hat in the ring for another go. In any event, President Harrison's comments saved our family while they were locked up. Or at least it gave them a little protection from the angry mobs that were gathering each day outside their prison cells.